and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Or every time I see this word, Kara, I want to say fluted. <laughs> that, like, the English language really let us down. Welcome to English. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to say fluted for now on, because that's what it should have been. Surprisingly, Kara, very surprisingly, I liked this episode a lot. I really enjoyed it. Stephanie Chow liking an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> the haters are not going to believe this. Unheard of. We don't like Buffy. That's our whole <laughs> shtick. That's what people complain about is that we don't like Buffy. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's because the last three episodes, which are, you know, I'll cover like one day. <laughs> um, I, I've said the mood is down a little bit for me. So I came into this episode and my memory of it being... Buffy's problems increasing <laughs> my expectation was that I wasn't going to like it and as always when you go into something with low expectations it usually exceeds your expectations and I'm like I ended up leaving it being like wow that was really fun that was like a good I, like I had a good time while watching it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and I do have an idea of what I would call it if if, if it wasn't called fluted although fluted is a very apt name for this episode because obviously not only is Buffy's basement being flooded, f- fluted, <laughs> but... Buffy's um, Girls Podcast apologizes to all people who speak English as an additional language here. Um, it's flooded. Okay. But Buffy's life is getting fluted as well. Flooded. Fluted because of all of the problems that are coming her way. So if I were to rename this episode, I would have called it 99 Problems But A Bitch Ain't One. But I also have it as um, an extra rename. I would call it Seeing Red Flags. Because there are a lot of red flags flying around in this episode. Hmm, okay. Let's get into it. Are you ready? I'm so ready. We are in Buffy's basement. We haven't been down there with her since Dead Man's party, I think, where she found that dead cat. <laughs> so. Right, but we, we have been down there with like Spike and stuff, right? No, Spike went down there to steal photos of her to jack off to. Yes. <laughs> but we didn't follow so, him so down there. So this is the last time that we've saw... Dead Man's part is the last time we saw her down there. I, I, yes, this is the first time we've seen Buffy down there. She's stalking something. Is it a demon? Nope. It's a leaky pipe. And she says that we meet at last, Mr. Drippy. And she takes out a wrench and she starts twisting the pipe. And Dawn is on the stairs and she's like, do you want me to call a plumber? Like, I have a number right here. And Buffy's like, no, no. She's adamant that she's got this. She finally finishes twisting the pipe and then the water stops, right? And we think she's successful. But no, water sprays out of all the pipes in all directions, everywhere. Dawn screams and runs upstairs away from the water. And Buffy just says, there all better cut to credits i really like the set design for this like whoever rigged the pipes uh for the obviously very practical effect of the water bursting out of them on cue 
uh, good job. Like, this was a really fun little kind of gag. Yeah, and again, it's a gag, and it's a very short opener. We don't see these short openers as often. But right away, the mood is a little bit lighter. Am I wrong? Like, Buffy is quipping. Well... <laughs> The bar is low in that department. I mean, it's it's not hard to be lighter than bargaining parts one and two. Well, that and also uh, afterlife. But that's the point. It's like as soon as that's what I mean when I say I watched this and I was expecting, <sighs> but then this first scene was quite uh, lighthearted, even though a terrible thing is happening in their basement, and I appreciated it. I was like, okay, Buffy's back to making little quips. Last time we saw her, she was saying, "I was in heaven and my friends suck," but truly. Um, this episode starts the beginning of this new theme for the show because, you know, high school as hell was the metaphor for the first couple seasons. And now I guess we're getting into what we're going to be facing in season six, which is adulthood is hell. Well, and plumbing is its own special circle of hell, as any <laughs> homeowner can tell you. I know your house is brand new, Steph, so you haven't had to deal with these problems yet. Yes. Um, but as somebody who moved into a very old house, plumbing is hell. Mm, so you can you can let us know. Uh, your expertise when it comes to the plumber stuff in the next scene. So all the girls are in the kitchen. They're talking about the pipes. Dawn says, I told you we should have called a plumber. And Buffy is just staring at the water that's running from the tap in her sink. She's kind of zoning out in it. And she's saying, you're right. Plumber will make everything good. And Tara notices that Buffy's kind of zoned out. And she's like, Donnie, you're not eating breakfast. And Buffy still like just watching the water run says... Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's unbelievably important. You should eat breakfast at least three times a day. <laughs> so she's like dead voiced, right? Like monotone. Well, I know some hobbits who would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, second breakfast, third breakfast. So Willow comes over and she shuts the tap off, thus breaking Buffy out of her little funk there. Clearly... Buffy is not back to her usual self, even though at the beginning I was saying, oh my God, Buffy's back. It's not the case, but she... She clearly is still going through some sort of transition. Xander and the plumber come up and Xander calls him Tito, the amazing. And we know from bargaining part one that Xander had said he, or no, from bargaining part two, that Xander had said something about making guy friends and Tito was one of them. So here he is. Tito says the pipes are shot. The whole system's going to have to be replaced. What you need is a full copper repipe job. Oh, Thank God the men are here. <laughs> Thank God. We wouldn't have had that answer without them. How, how could we have done anything without Xander and Tito? <laughs> the Xander and Tito show. <laughs> so Willow takes the bill and she's like, that sounds pricey. And Tito says, our number's on the invoice. And then he leaves. Willow is looking at the bill and Don comes over and says, that's a weird phone number. Oh, wait, is that the bill? And Xander's like, Tito cut you a good deal down there. There are... Um, those are his bargain prices. I did a little haggling for you. Buffy says, thank you. We'll pay him. What's the big deal? And Willow's like, Buffy, I know you're still getting on your feet after... And Buffy's like lying flat on my back. And Willow says, there's more... There's money stuff that we're going to have to talk to you about. So this part gave me anxiety because we cut to Buffy looking through all these invoices on her table in the living room and like just seeing that pile of invoices and all the bills mm -hmm. and responsibilities she has to take care of. I literally was like, oh, like so much. She's like, okay, so you're telling me I'm broke. Taryn, Willow, and Dawn are sitting across from her. Xander's there too. And Anya's at a desk um, across the room. Willow says, not yet, but money's definitely becoming an issue. Xander says, as in, you're almost out of it. And Buffy says, I haven't spent any money. I was all dead and frugal. <laughs> 
Uh, Willow says, I know this comes a bit of a shock after a bit of a shock, but it took us by surprise too. Tara says, your mother prepared everything really well. She had life insurance. And then Xander says that what she left you would have left you covered, but hospital bills sucked up all the money. And I was like, fuck you, America. That's awful. And Anya says, which you're still hemorrhaging, by the way. And Buffy asks how. Anya says, not you, like the house. The house is sitting here doing nothing by itself, costs money. And Dawn's like, well, like, what do we do? What are we going to do? And Buffy says, easy. We burn the house to the ground and collect the insurance. Plus fire. Pretty. I'm with Buffy on this one. Fire is pretty. Fire is very pretty. And um, I'm not with Buffy, though, because I feel like arson for insurance it just never works out the oh, way you oh, want it to no. work <laughs> I, I agree i'm not with buffy on the burning the house down but fire is pretty she's she's right on that part yeah nature's miracle <laughs> <laughs> um you notice buffy keep, like throughout this episode and especially already a couple times in in this very short amount of time that we've gone through buffy keeps making these jokes which i i would say it's not out of buffy's normalcy to make jokes about a situation but they're quite morbid jokes Right, they they tend to be about her coming back from the dead, her being dead. No, I I I think Buffy is calibrated in this episode. I think her jokes are on point. I think it's everybody else who's treating her like she's a weirdo, and I don't appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I just I wanted to point out that like, hey, Buffy's back to making jokes. Jokes. <laughs> Buffy's back to making jokes. Everyone be happy about it. Ah, uh, in memory of the dear departed Joyce Summers. Oh, there's so much Joyce in this episode too. Mm-mm-mm. So everyone's staring at Buffy and she says, I'm kidding. And again, everyone get a sense of humor. Buffy's trying to be normal. Uh, she says, it's bills, it's money, it's pieces of paper sent by bureaucrats that we've never met. It's not like it's the end of the world, which is too bad because that that I'm really good at. So is now the time, Cara, that we should talk about money and the other people who are living in this house? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Because I, I I hear this a lot. I hear this critique a lot, a lot, a lot in the fandom. Why are Willow and Tara not contributing to the house's money? We actually don't know. From the end of this episode, I'm not sure if Willow and Tara are pitching forward rent or anything like that. It doesn't you, appear You would think that are. if they were contributing in some way, the episode would have mentioned it in a throwaway line. Yes. It's very odd. I recognize that the writers wanted to address mundane aspects of Buffy's life, especially considering how she's just come back from the dead. I, I do really enjoy this episode and its focus on these minutiae. However, there are holes. There are gaps in... <laughs> the story that we're getting and i have questions willow and tara like your money has has run out so were tara and willow spending that money obviously they were buying clothes they are very likely taking care of dawn and sending her to school with lunches and what about alimony for hank yeah from hank summers right child support for dawn like it's weird that the show isn't talking about those aspects and especially the fact that like not even willow and tara saying even with the $500 we both give you every month for like covering um, our rent, <laughs> like like even a, like a simple conversation about that would have been enough, but it, it appears they're not paying anything. Well, so they were essentially squatting for the last, what, I think it's been five months. They were squatting for the last five months, right? Because nobody else knew that Buffy was dead. So they moved into her house that she had just inherited from her mother and didn't tell anybody and i don't know it's unclear in in the scene to come whether 
the house still has some kind of uh, debt on it. But if anything, there's still at least property tax and utilities, obviously. So they must have been covering those. How did they have access to Buffy's bank account? Maybe they sent the Buffy bot in there. To... Did Willow? Yeah, like, did, or maybe Willow hacked it, or yeah. I don't know. Um, again, like I would have been happy with any hand wavy explanations <laughs> and exposition. We just didn't get it, so now we're left to speculate, and that's what we're doing. <laughs> but we can only assume that that pile of invoices in front of Buffy, like the the Tara and Will, just watched them stack up <laughs> over the last like, five again, months and just like didn't do anything about it. What's the plan, right? <laughs> what's like the plan? I can understand moving into Buffy's house right after Buffy dies because you want to take care of Don you want to kind of have that continuity I get it but like let's assume for the moment that they couldn't bring Buffy back what was their plan right because Giles was there and I don't know if he ever was like so are you guys just gonna freeload off of Buffy's house until they foreclose on it like also I, I don't know what the rules are in California but for example here in Ontario if you inherit property and it's no longer your primary residence, then within a certain amount of time, they can slap you with capital gains tax. So, you know, I don't know what kind of like estate taxes they have in California, but it's possible that Buffy also owes money, not just from Joyce's medical bills, but also uh, just the whole process of inheriting the house and whatnot. And I don't know if Willow and Tara had yet had a conversation to figure out like, well, if the world really does find out that Buffy's dead and it's been less than a year since Buffy's mom died or whatever the time frame is, like that's it's it's this is a messy situation. This is why we have lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I and that, that's why you feel so bad for Buffy for having this whole thing dumped on her lap just like this. And also like just again on Willow and Tara were you guys not living in residence for the last couple years? And obviously you're now going to live at home and drive in Joyce's car <laughs> to and from Sunny UC Sunnydale. That, that money that you would have had to pay for residence to live on campus, like where's that money? Especially from Willow's parents who are loaded. Like that should be going toward something for the house too. So I'm just confused. It's not clear at all. I also want to address how Buffy's saying, hey, money's not the end of the world, right? And of course Buffy would think that because she's trashed this house and dented her mom's car so many times she never had to worry about it so i think she's about to learn very quickly that money can be the end of the world so dawn is looking worried and buffy assures her she says i'll, t I'll take care of this i promise i just don't know how yet anya's like i know how <laughs> and everybody swivels their head to look at her <laughs> she's like if you want to pay every bill here and every bill coming and have enough to start a nice college fund for dawn start charging and buffy's like for what? And she, Anya says, slaying vampires. You're providing a valuable service to the whole community. I say cash in. Okay. Everybody looks so uncomfortable with this, right? And Buffy says, well, that's an idea you would have. Um, any other suggestions? And Anya's like, it's not so crazy. And Don's like, yes, it is. You can't charge innocent people for saving their lives. So small spoiler here for Angel. I don't know if we've discussed this in either of the recap episodes that we did, but this parallels Cordelia in season one of Angel, oh, where yeah. she's pushing Angel to charge, yep. right? Because she wants a, a salary, of course. Um, and there's a very awkward exchange in one of the episodes where Angel, uh, you know, rescues somebody. <laughs> and then Cordelia is like, come on, Angel, like, aren't you going to build them? And it's, 
You know, it, it's very funny. I I, th- I like that both of these shows at some point have dealt with the whole question of like, you know, how do heroes make their money? <laughs> Why is Buffy not being paid by the Watchers Council f- for being the Slayer? Like, absolutely. This show, this show stuff. Um, I know. And can we all agree that if Anya and Cordelia were to combine their powers, they would rule the world? <laughs> oh my! Oh my! I want that spinoff now. Right. <laughs> so, um, Don says yeah you can't charge innocent people Anya says Spider-Man does <laughs> Don says he does not Anya says does too Don says Xander and Xander hesitates and then he says action is his reward <laughs> he mumbles it very you know like he's being forced aside with Don um because that's the truth yeah uh, but that of course means that he chose don instead of his fiance not that anybody knows that yes and also i mean minor spoiler but like actually you don't i'm not going to get into it but i think people might know what i'm talking about that like that's kind of icky nope. for stuff later no, on we're not, i'm nope. not talking about, we're not no, talking about no, that. Spo- spoiler free <laughs> podcast we're a spoiler free podcast so anya gets set stands up and she says why don't you ever take my side? And she storms out of the house. Uh, Xander says, Anya, I am on your side. And he chases after her. And Willow says to Buffy, you're throwing away a gold mine. So can I just say, at least Anya is trying to come up with solutions. Yeah, she's being very constructive here. She is. She's so helpful in this episode. And she's making suggestions. And like, yes, the the suggestion didn't go the way she thought it would go. But she's trying. What the hell are the other ones doing? The, The freeloaders in this house, they're doing nothing. They're just staring at Buffy being like, you can figure this out. So, mm. Outside, Xander catches up to Anya and asks, what's wrong with you? She says, why don't you ask your best friend, (laughs) Spider-Man? Which I will say, Kara, that's definitely something I would throw out if I was in the middle of a fight. Um, If you're not going to support me, Xander says, I'm supportive. I'm totally supportive. I'm a flying buttress of supportive. And Anya says, no, you're not. And Xander says, this is because I haven't told him about about the engagement yet, isn't it? And Anya says, no, maybe, yes. It's painful and confusing. First, you give me this beautiful ring and I can't wear it in public. Do you know how depressing that is? And Xander's like, I promise your waiting days are almost over. I know it's frustrating, but the way I understand this marriage thing, it's kind of a forever deal. Uh, Fucking duh, Xander. And Anya says, not if you never get started. Touche, Anya. So Anya says, don't you want to get married? Xander says, yes, but... I detect a small hesitation in that, Kara. Um, Anya says, why won't you tell them? Xander says, I'm still getting used to the miracle of a steady paycheck and getting out of my parents' house. And this husband thing is a big step or a lot of little ones. I love you so much. I just want every step to be just right. And Anya's like, really? And she starts to kiss him. But then she pulls back and says, hey. And she says, you tricked me just now with your fancy talking lips. You keep doing this and I keep forgetting and you keep stalling. So she starts to walk away from him and she says, when are you going to grow up, Xander? And he watches her walk away. Um, Great job, Anya. Clap, 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 snap, snap, snap. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's men. You got to stop distracting us with your lips and your dicks and whatever it is men use to distract (laughs) your fancy jewelry. Um, Like, Xander, if you thought you weren't ready to get married, there was an easy solution to this, my dude. Don't propose to Anya. I am so with you on that, Kara. So here's the thing. 
Xander's also feeling fluted <laughs> in his life because like he said, like he just got his shit together. Remember season four, he like had all those jobs and he felt like left behind and all his whole deal with that. And then he got his shit together once he f- figured out how to build shells in season five. <laughs> so I, I do feel him when he says... It's all, it's all a lot for him to handle. He thinks he's a loser, right? He feels like he's going to live the life that his father lives or something um, based on what we saw in Restless. But Yes, it, it's entirely okay for him to have these feelings. Yes. Um, but that was a conversation he should have had with Anya before exactly. he proposed to her. Yes. He should, if he was still going to propose to her, he should have made it very clear that he wasn't you know, comfortable with announcing the engagement just yet and explain why and have mm-hmm. a mature adult conversation about all this stuff. Did that happen? No, of course not, because this is Xander Harris. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, yeah, we see where you're coming from, Xander, but you are going about it in all the wrong ways. If you're feeling overwhelmed with being an adult, then do not propose to your girlfriend when you're 20 years old. Just don't do it, okay? So let's cut to Buffy. Um, she's all cute in her professional outfit. She's not going slaying in this professional outfit as far as she knows. She has her hair back and she's got a little button up and her skirt on. And she's seeing a bunch of things. Um, she's got a little monologue going on, on here where she's like, there's a first time for everything. And that's my philosophy. This is my first big loan. Collateral? No problem. No problem. No problem. I love that tie. I'm a problem solver. Like, let's crunch those numbers. And then she was mutters to herself, stupid skirt. So she's basically practicing for a, a loan officer to come in. When he does come in, uh, she stands up and he's like, Carl Savitsky, loan officer. And Buffy's like, Buffy Summers, loan applier for. <laughs> she's like, I didn't know exactly what you'd need. So I brought everything that and I'm responsible in that way. And uh, she, she gives him a folder and he's going through it. And it's so cute because he's like discarding things and he's like, report cards definitely don't need those. <laughs> so Buffy's like, about my getting a loan. And he says, it looks as if financially we have a bit of a tangle. And Buffy is so positive, right? She's like, I know. And I figured you could just cut through the tangle of scissors where the loan is is the scissors. <laughs> and he says, the only collateral you have is your house, which was never fully leveraged and has been losing equity over the last several years. For some reason, Sunnydale properties have never been competitive and refinancing is out of the question. So Buffy just stares and then she says, are you saying you won't give me a loan? And he says, you have no income, no job. Oof. You know, if this was just a few years later, they would be dying to give Buffy a subprime mortgage loan. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're so close to the housing collapse of 2008. <laughs> just a few more but years. Buffy's just a, little, just a little too early for that, unfortunately. <laughs> I gotta, I, unfortunately, this is, this is another very kind of realistic scene where mm-hmm. it's like, if you don't have income... Uh, it is very tough to get loans, and it you know it's a good example of how the this whole system is very stacked against the people who who need access to financing the most, because it is all about making money for for the people lending that money, right? So Buffy, despite being an attractive blonde white woman, can't get a loan. Let's imagine how you know racialized people, you know people who maybe don't have as obvious of an educated background maybe people with accents and stuff get treated by the these banks and whatnot um it's tough out there right um 
and then you can go too far in the other direction, like I was just talking about with the subprime mortgages, where it's like, okay, you know, we'll give a loan to everybody, uh, and then we'll mislead them about how safe and secure your loan is until they pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. I'm glad you put that out because it's so true. And like, fair enough, honestly, if Buffy doesn't have a job, why would they give her a loan? Like, how is she going to pay off the loan? You know what I mean? Oh, real life is tough. Adulthood is tough. What what she should have asked for is a line of credit secured against her house's equity. Well, Carl, where were you to be her financial advisor? <laughs> you know, like, but also I, I, I do have to question, like, why has nobody talked to Buffy about getting a job? <laughs> because she just got back from the dead. We can tell you all about the debt you're in and be mad at you for not reacting the way we want you to. But like <laughs> approaching the fact that you need to work for a living is just too much, I guess. Uh, suddenly, Sharkman throws a man through the window of the office and across the desk and Buffy stands up and sees him and she says, no job, I wish. <laughs> so the shark man is causing chaos and Buffy goes up to him and she says, are you in the wrong line? That's for deposits. That's for withdrawal. And this one is for getting kicked in the face. <laughs> and Buffy goes to kick him in the face, but her pencil skirt prevents it. So she's like stupid skirt before the shark man punches her so hard that she also flies onto the desk in the office um, in front of Carl. Buffy, I'm very shocked at this turn of events because when has fashion ever stopped you before? We saw you wear the most impractical slaying stuff <laughs> seasons one, yeah, two, but and three. She's also, she's also being very quick to rip skirts that have been too <laughs> yeah. confining before. So I think this this is totally consistent. Yeah, but I what I like what I saw here was a metaphor for Buffy's clothing as well, um, which they don't always do. But um, she's obviously not feeling as comfortable in this adult outfit. She can't move as freely in it, just like being an adult in just like her entering adulthood, right? She's not quite there yet. Uh, she grabs the letter opener on the desk. She's like, may I? She rips open her skirt and then she goes to fight the shark man. And as they're fighting, we see the open money drawers of the bank. I don't know what you call them. <laughs> the, the, I call them money drawers. Cash and, drawers. Uh, cash drawers, same thing. They're being ransacked and money is being thrown into bags. So the shark man is picking up Buffy at one point and an officer with a gun is pointing it at her at, at them and he's like, put the girl down. So the shark man throws Buffy at the officer and while they're on the floor, Buffy picks up the gun and she says, these things, never helpful. And she tosses it away. So the shark man has run away during this time and Buffy goes back to Carl, who's cowering behind his desk. And she says, now about my loan, I'm not saying I'm charged you for saving your life or anything, but let's talk rates. <laughs> She's lucky if they don't charge her for the damage she caused at that place. She's charged them for her ruined skirt. So now we're at the magic box. Uh, Buffy is boxing. She's training in the back room and Willow's watching her. So we're going to get girl talk. Woo, we haven't had this in a while. Mm -hmm. Willow's saying, he still turned you down? That's crazy. Even if the bank did get robbed, with which you battling demons couldn't possibly know, you would think there would be some kind of award. But no, they're like, we're not going to give you money unless you prove you don't need it. What kind of system is that? You go, Willow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Buffy is uh, punching on the punch bag, and she says, you're asking the wrong gal. And Will says, hey, Buffy, you're mad. And Buffy says, oh, you noticed. It'll pass. And Willow says, no, anger. It's a big, powerful emotion. You should feel it. And Buffy says, that's good then. It's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> and so Willow wants to make Buffy bad again. And she says, last semester, 
I slept with Riley. <laughs> and Buffy says, you know, I really doubt it. <laughs> and yeah. Willow says, oh, you caught me, big fib, to cover up the sleazy affair I had with Angel. <laughs> and she gives Buffy the cheesiest grin. It's almost like Willow forgot that she's a lesbian. <laughs> Uh, Buffy says well what the hell are you doing and Willow says pissing you off Buffy says yes true why and Willow says because since you've been back you haven't exactly been big with the whole range of human emotions thing Buffy stares at Willow and Willow says I mean this is really my problem I'm just all over the place you should just forget I ever said anything because you know Banks, man. <laughs> and Buffy stares and then keeps punching at the punching bag and Willow looks awkward. So it's pretty natural for Willow to ask Buffy about how she's doing and how she's feeling, right? We've been seeing them do that kind of girl talk for years now. But it's awkward. It's awkward because Buffy is not in a sharing place and we know that she's feeling a certain way towards Willow. Right? Like it is Willow's fault for a lot of the things that Buffy's stealing. And I can't help but notice that there's like this aspect of Willow being impatient still that's carrying over from the conversation she's had with Tara in um, um, Afterlife. It seems like Willow's trying to avoid feeling guilty. And she still probably expects to feel like, like Buffy should be thanking her, like Buffy should be grateful for what she did. And all I can say is, like, Willow, again, stop micromanaging Buffy's resurrection. Like, stop trying to control Buffy's adjustment to being alive just because you feel guilty. Like, you want her to feel a certain way, so you keep pushing it. You're like, oh, you're feeling emotions. That's great. That's great. That's great. And then when it's, it turns out Buffy doesn't want to talk about it or, like, she's feeling the way she's feeling just because she's feeling that way, it's not enough for Willow. Yeah, I really like how you put it. Stop micromanaging. That's great. I feel for both Buffy and Willow in this scene, like, it's totally natural for Willow and, and the rest of the Scoobies to be concerned about Buffy's emotional and mental states. But, you know, I agree with your criticisms. And I think, like, I don't know exactly how long it's been, but I think it's probably been like, what, a week or so that she's been back. Mm -hmm. Maybe give her a little bit more time. <laughs> right? Like, again, like, she's just trying to control the situation because she wants to everyone to be happy because what she she feels that what she did is a good thing so also something i wanted to point out while i was watching this episode it's like buffy needs to get a job buffy needs income buffy what what's buffy gonna do mm -hmm. she's not even finished university yet the perfect job for buffy to do is personal training and self-defense classes like i was watching her work out on this punching bag here which we've seen her nice. do for two seasons now and i'm like buffy should be working at that gym that riley lived at <laughs> and do personal training or specialized yeah. training or no, and, that's a great idea and even like remember back in season two we saw that in gym class they were doing self-defense um in the episode phases buffy should be teaching those courses to students like she mm -hmm. could take that a contract to the school and do that so i'm I, the fact that the show never like figured that out maybe they will i don't know because it's spoiler free but ugh, it, there's such an I, I think it's answer. a little bit easier for it's a little easier for us to give buffy those entrepreneurial directions because we currently live in an age of entrepreneurship driven by social media and influencing and you know it's a lot easier for entrepreneurs to get the word out nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's so easy to start your own little business and put yourself out there on social media. But in 2001, 
you know, the World Wide Web is still pretty fresh. So it's a lot harder to get your information out there, especially locally. Um, you know, you can put up posters with those little like tabs that people can tear off with your phone number and stuff. And you can use the, the word of mouth and whatnot. You can advertise, I guess, in the yellow pages. Like it, it's totally possible. Uh, I agree with you. I think Buffy could make a go at this. I just think that there's probably fewer examples for her to follow. It's harder for her to see that as a possibility for herself. Whereas these days, people Buffy's age are basically being bombarded with a lot of propaganda about entrepreneurship, uh, some of which is helpful, much of which is not. So I think it's a lot easier for us looking back mm -hmm. at the show 22 years later to be like, girl, just go start your own business. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point that you bring up because that's the difference between how we view potential careers now versus back then uh, where like I'm sure going to pursue your own to be um, your own personal trainer or anything like that requires you going off the beaten path, which is go to university and then get your desk job. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. But I, I swear that's the perfect thing for Buffy to go and do because she can also choose her own hours. So hmm. Anya and Xander are sitting at the table in the magic shop watching Tara and Dawn at the front of the store collect books. Anya is saying, don't be such a wiener dog. Look at them researching demons for the billionth time. They could use a peppy boost of happy news. <laughs> and Xander's like, you're right. I'll tell them. So he gets up, but then he sits back down and says, as soon as Buffy and Will come back. And Anya's like, chicken. And Xander says, would you stop? And Anya's like, I dare you. And Xander says, if I tell them that we're engaged right after you dared me, won't you always wonder if that's the only reason you did it? And I'm actually wondering, Xander, why you bothered proposing in the first place. So Xander says, score one for Captain Logic. Anya says, Captain Logic is not steering this tugboat. I smell Captain Fear at the wheel. <laughs> God, I hate this. This tone of my voice, I dislike it more than you do, and I'm closer to it. So God, that is so relatable, Kara. No woman wants to sound screechy and naggy, but God damn it, it's the partners that bring that out in us. Yeah, I, I really like Anya in this episode. I'm really, I don't know if relating is the right word, because I've never been in a relationship like this, but... I'm finding that she she's doing a really good job of vocalizing her displeasure with Xander. Yes. She's putting the work in to communicate with him. You know, she's making it clear, this is what's wrong. This is what you're doing that I don't like. Here's where I'm at, right? Now talk to me about it. And Xander's not really giving her anything, right? Like, you notice how she keeps bringing up this argument and his response is, as she said earlier, to try to distract her, to put it off, right? Instead of just saying, like, yes, let's tell them. Like, he doesn't have to do it right now. He could just say, okay, I will tell them this week, right? And mm -hmm. he's not doing that. Yes. And this is the beginning of why this episode could potentially be called seeing red flags because that's a red flag and we <laughs> talked about that before but like it is xander's avoiding this life decision that he brought anya on like on board with right and he's avoiding it and that's a red flag the fact that he's like i can't even tell tara and dawn right now why is he stalling that's a red flag and anya calls him out she says he's captain fear so anya you know exactly why he's not doing it and um she's addressing it as well as she can but She's so caught up in being engaged, she's not addressing the actual problem here, which is probably that Xander's not ready for this life-changing event. So 
Tara and Don come over. Don is telling Tara that she's old enough to do research. And she's like, um, you really think I'm not mature enough? And Tara thinks for a second and she says, I think you're very mature for your age, but you're still only 15. And I'm like, that's a really great answer, right? Um, so, yep, you are. You are mature, but you're still quite young. But 15 is, a, in my opinion, is a pretty good age to start research. Because like we met the Scoobies when they were 15, 16 years old, right? So Don says, 15 as a teenager, if you don't look, if you don't let me look at the pictures, I'm going to learn everything I know about demons on the street. So Tara gives her the book and she's like, knock yourself out. Dawn says, thank you. See, no biggie. I can, t- I can totally handle it. She flips open a page and then she's like, that's a weird place for a horn. Then she slowly closes the book and says, that's not a horn. This is so funny. I love, I love Michelle Trachtenberg's acting in this moment. I think she opened up the book to the page on haunted dicks. <laughs> it's just a picture of Riley with the word run underneath it. So Xander says, what kind of demon robs a bank? And Anya's like, the kind that wants money. And Xander says, what do you even call that? And Dawn is holding up the book that she found. And she says, this, I'm guessing on how you say it. I think it's, mmm, fashionic, like, mmm, cookies. (laughs) And Xander's like, ma, fashionic, like, ma, fashionic. And Buffy and Willow are coming in. And Dawn asks Buffy, is this your guy? And she shows him the book. And Buffy says, you do research now? Want a cappuccino and a pack of cigarettes to go with it? (laughs) I missed you, Buffy. You're so funny. Dawn says, would you just look at the picture? And Xander says that he doesn't fit the profile for your typical bank robber. And Buffy's like, maybe they turned down his loan application. That's him. Big bad. This guy was strong, you guys. No weapon I could see, but still. But then we hear a door jingle. And Buffy stops talking because she's looking at the door. And everyone looks. It's Rupert Giles. <gasps> Daddy Giles is back. Daddy's home. Um, Buffy and him are staring at each other. He puts down his luggage. Buffy walks over to him and he says, oh, God, Buffy. And he hugs her, saying, you're alive, you're here, and you're still remarkably strong because Buffy's eyes are closed <laughs> and she's hugging him. And she's like, sorry, and she lets him go. And Giles says, Willow told me, but I didn't really let myself believe it. And Buffy says, I take a little getting used to. I'm still getting used to me. And Giles is like, you're... And Buffy says, a miracle. And Giles says, yes. But then I always thought so. And he puts his hand on her cheek and I am sobbing. I... Oh, I need the smelling salts. Bring me my fainting couch. (laughs) Is someone cutting onions around here? Because I needed this. Like, this is why I ended up really loving this episode because like this is so wholesome this is so heartfelt dad's here and um you know he's touching buffy but it's not in a creepy way like back in season one in this case we want it's a fatherly love right like oh oh so for some reason we cut to a shot of mm, fashionic walking the street (laughs) okay (laughs) he's looking for mm, cookies (laughs) yes he is um all right, so we're, we're in the back gym area. Buffy and Giles are staring at each other, unsure where to begin, really. Like, where do you begin? Buffy says, okay, I can start. How was England? How's life? And Giles says, I'm not really sure how to answer that. I arrived home. I met with the council. Otherwise, there's nothing really to report. I keep a ba- flattened bath. I met with a few old friends. 
uh, almost made a new one, which is statistically impossible for a man of my age. Again, it's been like a week. <laughs> this is remarkable turnaround time. <laughs> Found an apartment, had a meeting with the Watchers Council, met a bunch of friends. Interesting. Got a phone call from Willow that you're alive, came back here. I wonder why, because it took him obviously a week or so to come back. I wonder what he was doing at that time, securing his flat in Bath, I'm sure. And I've always heard this, right, uh, where people say, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to make friends. Um, I don't know. I don't know this theory is true or not because I'm not in my late 40s making new friends. But you know what? God damn it. When I'm in my late 40s, I'm going to go out and see how hard it I is. I will do my part and I, I will do my part to help you test this theory staff by making sure that we are no longer friends at that point. So I'll do my part. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no, but then we should have a falling out, a public one. And then when we get back together after all the lawsuits are over, we'll have like um, a Buffy rewatch, rewatch podcast where we do it all again and start this whole thing again. It's a circle of life. Buffy says, now you're back. And Child says, yes. But he's looking down as if like, you know, like it was not, he's not comfortable with it. And Buffy says, wow, are you miserable about it or just really British? And Giles says, I can't, li I can't lie to you, Buffy. Leaving Sunnydale was difficult and coming back is, and Buffy says, I'm guessing the word is inconvenient. And Giles is like, no, like, no, bewildering. And he puts his hand on her arm and says, how are you really? You look tired. And Buffy's like, me, nah, fine. You know, sleeping's hard, but not just because of the whole waking up in a box thing. So maybe waking up's the problem. Just for a second, I sleep okay. Great even, except, you know the dreams so this is a very small statement from buffy but it's quite alarming right when she says the whole waking up thing in a box waking up is the problem that's really dark that's really sad buffy's really struggling and she's telling this to giles and i think all her friends so far have ignored it or in willow's case um wished it away but giles is listening to this see i would have wanted to have this conversation over a nice cup of tea in a comfy place. I understand that this is maybe Giles and Buffy's safe place because this is where they train together. So I'm not dissing the location, but I don't know. Like he just got back. I don't know if this is, I don't know if you can even have this conversation at this point. I feel like you have to warm up to each other again, give each other some time to be in each other's space and then start talking about your resurrection. <laughs> well, perhaps that's why things are a little bit awkward still, right? Like at the end of the scene, um, we see that awkwardness is, is there. So you, perhaps you're right. Maybe they just needed to warm up a bit more. Um, Giles says, you seem to be doing remarkably well under extreme circumstances. I'm proud of you. And ugh, Giles, what a wonderful thing to say. Because Buffy is doing remarkably well all things considered. And he doesn't even know why, where she was, right? So Buffy says, actually, it wasn't me. Willow brought me back. I just laid there. And Giles says, I meant, and Buffy says, I know what you meant. That was just a little post-postmortem comedy. So again, Buffy's given a lot of post-postmortem comedy lately. And I think it's fucking on point. Like it's all, they're all hilarious jokes and puns. But, um, you know, the Scoobies are just not in the mood. So, so Buffy gets up. She says, I better start prepping for Slayage. And Giles gets up too, and he's like, yes, there's always that, isn't there? And she says, seems that way. So she's wrapping up her hands in tape. I don't know why, like, unless she's going to punch the bag a little bit more before <laughs> before she goes slaying. But um, Giles leaves, like, after staring at her awkwardly for a little bit. And 
there's yeah so there's like a disappointment feeling here there's a uh, um a lack of connection at the end of this well it was anticlimactic you yes, know yes yes like i think because it's possible that buffy's realizing that giles can't fix everything even though he said the right things here right like you're doing well i'm proud of you it's not hitting her the way i think that would have before she died well it's a huge contrast to the start of season five when buffy and giles sit down at the end of buffy versus dracula and she's like giles daddy i need you <laughs> We need you too, Daddy. <laughs> so Giles walks towards the Scoobies, and Anya comes over, gives him a huge hug, says, Giles, so glad to see you. We missed you. Well, you can't have the store back. You signed papers. And Giles is like, I did. Do we have information on the demon that I suddenly find so desperately interesting? And Willow's like, this one robs banks. And Don says, I found him, and passes Giles the book. And he's like, oh, Mm, fashionic oh like and don's like yeah like mm, cookies and giles says quite different actually he's from a long line of mercenary demons that perform acts of slaughter and mayhem for the highest bidder and xander's like well that is the american way giles says yes but question now becomes what's out there powerful enough to control one of those things indeed indeed right? Ooh, or what is powerful enough cut to in the Fashnik, knocking over boxes in a basement, saying, we had a deal. You got what you wanted, now give me what I want, the head of the Slayer. And we then see that there's three, Steph in her notes has written, little boys, they're men. <laughs> three grown-ass men. I, I, I want to emphasize that they're men yes. for a reason later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sitting on beanbag chairs, uh, they're counting. All this money that they got from the bank is just everywhere. It's all over the floor. Uh, they say, sure, we can do that. Uh, and we recognize these men. Starting on the right, we have Warren, a.k.a. rapist, enabler, sex bot, creator, uh, <laughs> incel. Yep. Uh, we have Jonathan, reality manipulator and rapist. Uh, and on the left, we have some blonde boy. A blonde man. <laughs> Played by Tom Lank, who was previously a vampire in season four, uh, named Cyrus, but this is clearly a different character. Season five. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Fashnik says, you hired me to create chaos and carnage for you. Told me you were powerful men, commanding machines, magics, the demon realms below. Like, he's really worked up. Uh, and I want to point out, because you would never recognize him under all the makeup, but this is actually a younger Todd Stashwick, who played Captain Shaw in the recent season three of Star Trek Picard. And he was just fabulous in that season. So when I saw his name in the credits for this episode, I'm like, ooh, T Todd Stashwick, I know who that is now. Kara's fangirling. <laughs> He's a lot of fun in this episode, too. So these little men <laughs> say, yeah. Uh-huh. And Jonathan says, we're like supervillains. And he and the blonde one laugh diabolically. And Fashnik says, which one of you is the leader? And they all say in unison, I am. <laughs> I will kill the leader. <laughs> and then they all point to one another and say, he is. <laughs> and Fashnik then decides, I will kill you all. And Jonathan gets up and says, wait, that's not fair. It's not our fault the Slayer was there. We said we'd pay you and we're gonna. And Warren and the blonde man come and kneel behind Jonathan and say, yes, truly, Lord Jonathan is wisest of us all. And the blonde man says, 
yeah, long live our noble lord and master. And Jonathan <laughs> just looks down at them. Because remember, Jonathan's a short, short guy. Uh, he says, you guys suck. So Mfeshtik lifts Jonathan up by his neck. And he says, you can't pay me with paper, tiny king. You pitted me against the slayer. For that, I must kill you. So, you know, shout out to Mfashnik for uh, using the culturally appropriated African-American vernacular of short king uh, <laughs> before it's even come into vogue. Yeah. Calling, calling Jonathan a short king here. Uh, so Warren and everybody else starts giggling and Mfashnik says, I will suck dry your bones and use them to beat your subjects to death. He's going to perform a suck job on Jonathan. <laughs> So Warren is like, whoa, 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 big guy. Let's back things up a parsec, okay? You kill us, and everybody loses. You let us live, and we'll give you. And Fashnik says, give me what? And Jonathan's like, name it. <laughs> so Fashnik drops him. And Warren says, between the three of us, we could pretty much do anything. Jonathan says, if you want a spell to make you look super cool to the other demons, I'm all over that action, my friend. Warren says... Or, just throwing it out there, robot girlfriend? Long, lonely nights after a hard day's slaughter? And Feshnik seems tempted for a moment. He says, yeah. you could do this? Yeah, it's like that's what, like, the robot girlfriend. He was like, oh yeah? <laughs> and they nod. And then uh, the blonde man says, don't trust him. Robo pimp daddy's all mouth. And Warren finally gives this guy a name. He says, shut up, Andrew. You're just mad I wouldn't build you, Christina Rishi. <laughs> and Andrew says, you owe me, man. Warren says, or what? You'll send another pack of devil dogs to ruin my prom? <laughs> Andrew says, how many times do I have to say it? The prom thing was my brother Tucker. <laughs> so now we know that Andrew is the brother of Tucker Wells, who was the, the devil dog hellhound guy from the prom. Yes. Jonathan says, yeah, we'll tell him I was at that prom. <laughs> Andrew says, hello, screen wipe, new seed. I had nothing to do with devil dogs. I trained flying demon monkeys to attack the school play. Which we never Warren saw. Warren and Jonathan stare for a second, then say, that was cool. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah. And Jonathan was like, uh, run, Juliet. And they all laugh. So it's like this fun in-joke that we don't have. Okay, because that, that episode never happened. Like, we know Jonathan from Superstar, seasons one to three. We know Warren from, uh, from season five. But we don't know Andrew, and we don't know what he's talking about. So we just assume that this flying monkey plot happened behind the scenes. And remember, Cara, in season three, you and I were saying, do you think the day-to-day like spooky stuff is still happening at Sunnydale High, but Buffy and the gang yeah. are so caught up in the mayor they don't realize it or they're not caring <laughs> about it anymore. <laughs> well, I liked I like to think that they foiled the plot so easily that it wasn't worth an episode. <laughs> yeah, that it just didn't matter. <laughs> um so yeah, so a little bit of behind the scenes here. They originally planned for this character to be Tucker Wells, and then they just couldn't make that work so they brought in the new character of andrew but i i love the excuse to be like okay we couldn't get tucker so tucker's <laughs> brother 
It's great. It's funny. Yeah, it's really good. So Mfashnik is not enjoying this trip down memory lane. He <laughs> I, says, enough. <laughs> and I think at this point, like if you're a viewer and you're watching them have this like intense conversation amongst themselves, we're also like, enough. Like get to the back to the plot, right? <laughs> Nothing you offer me will satisfy your debt to me. I don't want your toys or your spells. Flying monkey demons. I want the Slayer dead. So the trio... Hmm, that's a good name, Steph. Hmm. The trio says, okay, done. One dead slayer coming up. Warren says, can you just give us one minute? And Fashnik says, for what? And Warren says, we just really want to nail down the optimum method for us to wipe out the slayer for you. And then Fashnik says, make sure it involves pain. <laughs> so, so what are your thoughts on... The trio, um, I think I said in our Instagram live the other day that I have always historically enjoyed the trio just because I think they're funny and that hasn't changed. I found their dialogue in this scene, as you could hear us giggling throughout. It's pretty funny. Like, like I, I do find the writing good for them. Yeah, I'm unsure how much I can say without getting into spoiler territory. What I will say at this point, the reason why I insisted on calling them men rather than boys is... Because they are portrayed in this episode, this introductory episode, as somewhat dweeby and nerdy, I think there is a possibility that the viewers, or the show even, can unintentionally infantilize them. Mm -hmm. And that undermines the threat that they represent. And I do enjoy this group overall, uh, and, you know, as far as villains go, but... I think it is very important when we look at them as metaphors for the role of misogyny in women's lives and the very real threat of violence that women face from men and patriarchy that we don't write that threat off as a joke. Yeah, absolutely. And I have that point later because they mention some things in the, the next big scene with the three of them mm -hmm. that... Um, really point out to what you just said and it's like we said earlier too when we were saying who is in this trio warren is a rape enablist right and we don't i don't know if we can call what he did with his own sex bot who was probably not based off of anyone rape but um the buffy bot certainly was and the, also the way he treated his girlfriend katrina like he's clearly a misogynist and then we have jonathan and we talked about back in superstar that he very likely raped those twin girls that were living in this house mm -hmm. and got away with it so yeah absolutely there there's a lot of problems with this trio and w when i say like red flags right like w can we see some red flags here we're gonna find out later why they've teamed up um and what they're doing but already they're selling each other out right warren and andrew were very quick to be like oh jonathan's our leader and if the shark guy killed him would they have cared it's hard to say because we don't know much about them yet, but that's a red flag already, right? The fact that uh, they, that they wouldn't care if one of the trio is slaughtered in front of them. Right. Buffy is setting up Giles on the couch and is talking about the bedding that she's getting ready for him. Like She's like, it's so cute. You could die, but it's all I've got. And Giles says, think nothing of it. It's whimsical. And Buffy says she can't find the guest sheets. Mom always did this stuff. They don't really fit. I blame the sofa. We need one of those pullout kinds, the kind with no payments till 2000 infinity. And Giles inquires about what she means. And Buffy says money stuff. Turns out mom left me some. And while I was dead, it got squandered on luxuries like food and clothing. 
Anya says it's pretty bad and she's trying not to think about it. So Giles says, sound policy, at least for tonight. And Buffy says, figure I'd put it out of my mind. Take a break, get some perspective, and then wake up at 4 a.m. terrified. And Giles says, Buffy, perhaps you're putting too much pressure on yourself. To return from some unknown level of hell, it's only natural that coming back would be a process. And Buffy says, in the meantime, I'm scaring people. And Giles says, that'll take time too, if it's, an, if it's any consolation. Life can be pretty overwhelming, even for people who haven't been where you have. Tomorrow morning, you and I will sit down together and go through every bill one by one. We'll work it out together. <sighs> and Buffy says, I'm glad you're back. And Bu Giles says, I'm glad you are too. I'm glad you're both back. <laughs> and then Giles reaches for her and Buffy shrugs it off, right? She leaves before he can touch her. Well, and the camera lingers on mm -hmm. Giles in this awkward position looking kind of at where Buffy was on the couch. And you can see from his expression that this was a significant thing. What do you think it means? Like what? Buffy's avoiding physical contact with people. Ooh, yeah. Like Giles is on She's being something. distant. Yeah, she's being distant. And like Giles is trying to work it out. Like why, why, why? Back to the trio. <laughs> Back to the trio. Jonathan asks, are we going to kill her? That's so sad. And Warren's like, shut up, Wynathan. Andrew says, I don't want to kill Buffy either. So Jonathan says, she saved my lunch, my life a bunch of times. Plus, she's hot. Oh, my God. I know. And Warren says, it's her or us. We have to do it. And Andrew says, we're talking about murder. Warren's like, no, we're talking about staying alive. And since this is my mom's house, I think what I say goes. And Andrew says, aside from the moral issues and the mess, we could get in trouble for murder. And Warren's like, duh, you know, the last I checked, the authorities also frown on bank robberies too, genius. Jonathan says, I don't even know if we could kill Buffy. She's got super strength. And Andrew says, killing people is not why we got together in the first place. Jonathan's like, yeah, we teamed up for one with one clear, super cool mission statement, remember? And then we flash back really quickly to the three of them playing, I guess, D&D in the basement. And Warren's like, you guys want to team up and take over Sunnydale? And they're just like, okay. <laughs> Like a lackluster origin story. Um, we cut back to the present and and uh, Jonathan says, you know we have a mission. And they all look at the whiteboard and there is a list there, Kara. And on the whiteboard, their mission statement is control the weather, miniaturize Fort Knox, conjure fake IDs. <laughs> because remember, they're all like 20. They're not 21 yet. Shrink Ray, girls, girls, and the gorilla thing. And Jonathan is saying this out loud. He's saying shrink rays, trained gorillas, Workable prototype jetpacks and chicks, chicks, chicks. That's the action I signed on for. And Andrew says, me too. Ixnay on the Erdeme. So Warren says, okay, let's vote. Jonathan says, who's not for killing Buffy? And him and Andrew lift their hands. And then Warren does as well. And Jonathan asks, what do we do with M. Fashnik? And Warren's like, I have an idea. Wait here. He goes to M. Fashnik and whispers to him, here's the Slayer's name and address and telephone number. You want to kill her? Make it so. So in Fashnik leaves, Warren goes back to the trio and they're like, how did you do that? Like, are you some kind of Jedi? Warren says, the force can sometimes have great power on the weak minded. And that's enough for Andrew and Jonathan to agree. Again, the red flag here, boys. Warren is already very cavalier about murdering Buffy, right? It appears that Jonathan and Andrew are not so keen on that, but they're very blindly following Warren who, you know, they say he's not the leader, but he likely is the leader. Warren had Buffy's name and address and telephone number written on a slip of paper 
just ready to go. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he didn't write it down. He just pulled it out of his pocket. Speaking of red flags, that's creepy as fuck. Yes. Well, I mean, he would have had it already because of Spike, I guess, right? And he's just being carrying it around in his pocket this whole time? <laughs> yep. Red flags all around. Okay. Oh, here we go. Here the fuck we go, Kara. Giles comes into the kitchen. And Willow is getting a snack. She's like, hey, Giles, did you have a good talk with Buffy? She's all chipper. And Giles says, yes, now she's back. And he walks to the sink and we see his back um, while he's at the sink. And Willow says, isn't it awesome? And Giles takes off his glasses, right? And he's already got this edge to his voice. And I'm like, (laughs) run, Willow. Like, you are not reading the room, my friend. He says, tell me about the spell you performed. And Willow is so eager to share. She's like, oh, well, first of all, so scary. Like, the Blair Witch would have to have watched this, like, and then she, like, peeks through her fingers. She's like, the giant snake came out of my mouth, and there was all this energy crackling, and this pack of demons interrupted, but I totally kept it together. And next thing you know... Buffy. And she eats a cracker like triumphantly. And Giles, his back is still to her and he says, you're a very stupid girl. (laughs) This would be a good episode to do a table read. Oh, I know. The girls are fighting. So Willow says, what? Giles? And Giles turns to her and says, do you have any idea what you've done? The forces you've harnessed, the lines you've crossed. And Willow says, I thought you'd be impressed or something. You would think that, Willow. Yeah, fucking Willow. Where have you been for the last four seasons while Giles has been like, hmm, do you think this magic is a good idea? Right? Like when she like stole the Watcher's Diaries or like read about magic in his office, he was so so pissed about that. Giles has never been on board with you doing magic, Willow. Come on. Also, Giles is historically hard to impress. Like, I can't think of very many things that have impressed him. So Giles says, oh, don't worry. You've made a very deep impression. Ooh, I heard that one. Dad's not angry. He's (laughs) disappointed. Shit, 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 shit. If I were Willow, I'd be running out of there right now. That's what I'm saying. Like, Willow, you fucking read the room so wrong because you're arrogance. So he says... Out of everyone here, you were the one I trusted most to respect the forces of nature. And Willow says, are you saying you don't trust me? And Giles says, think what you've done to Buffy. And Willow says, I brought her back. And Giles says, at incredible risk. Willow says, risk of what? Making her debtor? And Giles says, of killing us all, unleashing hell on earth? Shall I go on? Yes. Yes, I want <laughs> to hear more. Please tell us what else could have happened. What else? I really want to know what the risk were. Uh Will says, no, Giles, I did what I had to do. I did what no one else could do. And Giles says, oh, there are others in the world who can do what you did. You just don't want to meet them. And Will's like, okay, no, probably not. But they're the bad guys. I'm not a bad guy. I brought Buffy back into this world. And maybe the word you should be looking for is congratulations. (laughs) And Giles says, Having Buffy back in the world makes me feel indescribably wonderful, but I wouldn't congratulate you if you jumped off a cliff and happened to survive. (laughs) Giles is talking to Willow like she's a little fucking kid. I love it. Willow says, that's not what I did, Giles. And Giles says, you were lucky. Willow says, I wasn't lucky. I was amazing. And how would you know? You weren't even there. And Giles says, if I had been there, I would have bloody well stopped you the magics you channeled are more ferocious and primal than anything you could hope to understand and you are lucky to be alive you rank arrogant amateur <laughs> um, sorry he says amateur sorry sorry he has a he's more posh than i am giles goes to storm out right 
because really, it, historically, Giles would have the last word here. But Willow says, you're right. And when Giles turns around, she's staring at him cold. And she says, the magics I used are powerful. I'm very powerful. Maybe it's not such a good idea for you to piss me off. <sighs> <laughs> the audacity. So Giles is kind of like his face. He's like, uh, uh-huh. And then Willow backs down and she says, come on, Giles. I don't want to fight. Let's not, okay? I'll think about what you said and, and you try to be happy that Buffy's back. Oh my God. <laughs> Fuck off. Right? And Giles says... We still don't know where she was or what happened to her. I'm far from convinced she's come back from all of this undamaged. Willow, Willow, you are a red flag. (laughs) So I I do see both sides here. I do understand where Willow is coming from. I, I think it's understandable. And I think what Giles is doing is completely in character. But in terms of trying to convince Willow that maybe this was problematic, I think the right person for this job would have been Tara. Mm. So once again, I I really wish the writers had given us just some scenes of Tara and Willow fighting about this and showing us how Tara's like, should we bring Buffy back? Should we bring Buffy back? Are you sure you know what you're doing, babe? Like, even if... Willow wins Tara over. I just I wish I had seen that resistance from Tara. I think that Willow would have taken it better from Tara. It would have been consistent too. Yeah, and I, I don't think Willow would have taken this well from Giles. Uh, but also, like, if I, if I have to be on anybody's side here, I'm on Giles' side because he's absolutely right. Uh, this was reckless. I'm happy that Willow did it, but it was also extremely w- reckless. And Willow's unwillingness to acknowledge how dangerous it was and to say that the ends justified the means and it all, you know, it's great because it all worked out. Like you said, Steph, it's a red flag. It's concerning because Willow seems to be falling for this trap that says power is the ultimate, you know, indicator of who gets to make decisions, right? It's not we're going to make decisions as a team. You know, we're going to vote on things. It's I am the most powerful person in the room. Therefore, what I decide to do is what we do. That's extremely autocratic in terms of leadership. And when we're talking about the supernatural and and magic and stuff, it's very dangerous. And, And, you know, in previous seasons, Willow has always been a leader. She's always been very good at stepping up when Buffy or Giles have been kind of incapacitated or unavailable. Um... I've always respected Willow's leadership Mm -hmm. and her intelligence. This is a concerning turn. This is, I think, you know, Willow is pushing back against Giles. And it's not just, oh, come on, Giles. I want to learn more. It's I want to do what I want. And I don't want to be accountable to anybody. And that gives me the chills. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like we're watching her take on Giles with this cold ferocity of her power and saying, you don't want to piss me off. Like, that's a threat. She's never threatened Giles before. And I'm watching this and I'm almost like, when did this happen? Her personality before was so, like, fluffy and, and you know, innocent little willow. And now she's throwing around threats and she's power hungry. When did this happen? Well, I mean, it makes sense that this would be now after she's channeled some of the darkest magics in the world to bring Buffy back. 
uh, we see this change in her in this scene and it's it's alarming and chilling like you said going back on what Giles is saying like I trusted you more than anyone Giles is I think trying to get Willow in line because Willow as you're saying her arrogance she doesn't want to be held accountable for what she did we know when her conversations with Buffy that we've already criticized her for trying to control Buffy's emotions about being back because she sees it as a good thing and she wants to completely avoid feeling guilty for any consequences consequences that came from what she did but also she snuck around Giles behind his back and I think he realizes that here and that's why he's he's also pissed off because he's like I wasn't there I would have stopped you and in saying that to me, it's like Giles is like, you did this the night I left. You knew. You knew that I would have tried to stop you. She probably knew what the risks were going to be, but she didn't care. And that's also an insult to Giles. So this is such a significant scene. And I'm really, I'm really interested in the way that they are developing Willow's character from here on out. I don't like it. You know what I mean? Like I, I like it in that it's very fascinating, but I don't like Willow <laughs> right now. We'll see where it goes. Also, I want to ask, do you think that Giles is skeptical about where Buffy was? Like, we already know he, he said here, right? We don't know where she is. We can't know that she's not undamaged. Do you think he suspects that she might have been in so, like somewhere peaceful, somewhere good? No. Okay. I just think what he means by that is that we don't know what kind of hell she was in. Was it torture hell? Time loop hell? Yeah. You know, uh, the world without shrimp? Like, what's going on here? Let's cut to Buffy's backyard. Um, where she's overhearing this entire fight <laughs> and suddenly she gets a cigarette thrown at her and um, it's Spike. Um, he's asking her if she heard the whole conversation. She says, just enough to make me feel crappy. Spike says, you know Watcher Boy doesn't mean anything by it. And Buffy says, I guess. Uh, everyone, like they all care. They all care so much. It makes it all harder. I feel like I'm spending all my time trying to be okay so they don't worry. It's exhausting. And then I dot, 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 and Spike says that makes them worry even more. So this little conversation right here, it's not even done. But just at this point, I realized I was like, you know, again, Spike, he's picking up what Buffy's putting down. Like, right? Like, she, she's opening up to him more than anyone else. And um, he seems to understand exactly where she's coming from. Well, he, he's not expecting her to be anything other than what she is right now. Yes. He doesn't expect her to perform anything. And I think part of the reason for that is because he has finally got it into his head that she's not going to love him. He's accepted that. And he's like, well, okay, if I can't make her love me, at least I can be near her. And that means accepting, you know, whatever she's putting down that day. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's how he's kind of viewing it, I think, is he's like, well, this is the best it's going to get. And I don't want to jeopardize that by projecting my desires for her onto this, you know, relationship such as it is. Yeah. And he's probably feeling grateful that she's back at all, that he can be in her presence again. Right. So he says, want me to take them out? Give, get, it'll give me a hell of a headache, but I could probably thin the herd a little bit. Buffy grins and he's like, okay, good. Like I, he's trying to make her grin. Right. They both sit down on the porch together and Buffy says, why are you always around when I'm miserable? And Spike says, that's when you're alone, I reckon. I'm not one for crowds myself these days. Buffy says, me either. Spike says, that works out nicely then. So they sit for a bit, and then Buffy says, what do you know about finances? So I can't help but remember, Kara. Remember the last time these two sat on this porch together? It was in Fool for Love. Mm -hmm. And it was right after Spike told her that every Slayer has a death wish, and her friends 
keep her tethered to the world, right? But sooner or later, she's gonna want death. And when that time comes, he'll slip in. Remember he said that to her? Well, gosh darn it. It seems like it's just happening right now. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, he is slipping himself through her cracks like the snake he is. And she's letting him because of the situation, because they do have a connection and an understanding of each other right now. Right. It's just, it's not what he was expecting it to be. (laughs) Exactly. Well, he's an opportunist, right? So I think it's, it's happening in a way he never expected, but it's happening nonetheless. He said it himself that he would slip in when it happened. And he's assuring her right now, like he says, I'm not one for crowds. She says me either. So they're both loners right now, right? They're, They're both isolated together. Again, we've talked about this in the last couple episodes. Like, it's fascinating. It's, it's interesting that they have this shared dark connection right now. But you can't have them sit together on this back porch at night and not have me flash back to the last time that happened and what you and I said about it at that point, too. Yeah. Uh, Dawn's coming down the stairs. She's wearing another shirt with numbers on it. This time she's wearing a T-shirt that says 55. And I actually Googled. I'm like... Is there something up with numbers on Don's <laughs> shirts this season? You and Don's shirts, I tell you. And I found like a Buffy message board post that's, you know, also speculating. But apparently the excuse that Whedon and Noxon gave was that they just thought it was cool. It was a trend they wanted to have. You know, Don looked trendy. Uh, and then somebody else was like, but it wasn't trendy at that time. And so that fueled this conspiracy theory that it was some kind of message. So... Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one who noticed it, Steph, but as far as I know, there is no actual like backstory as to why Dawn's wearing number shirts. Other than that, they looked cool, apparently. Okay. Um, so she's in her PJs, uh, and Jaws is there <laughs> and says, oh, like they both can't sleep. So Dawn, uh, you know, talks to him, and then she says, want to mix every cereal that we have into one bowl and find out what it tastes like? You want to come? <laughs> and he says... I'll be your control group. You find as you get older, you lose patience for throwing up. <laughs> Boo, no fun, Daddy Giles. Uh, I really, I'm really enjoying Don in this episode. So as they have this conversation, the doorknob to the front door starts to rattle as if somebody's trying to get inside. <laughs> and it must be like, I don't know, 11 midnight, like it's late. Yeah. Mfashnik barges in looking for those mm cookies and he slaps Don to the ground. And Giles gets uh, smashed into the railing of the stairs. <laughs> okay, I put here, they both died because they, clearly they both would die from that. And classic Giles gets knocked out again. Oh, Giles <laughs> with the head trauma. My guy. Uh, oh, we my missed God. this. We um, missed this. So Mfashnik looks at Don. He's very disappointed. He says, you're not the Slayer, but you'll do for a start. Um, and so Buffy arrives on the scene and grabs Fashnik from behind and says, you're paying for that door, buddy. She throws him into the living room. He smashes the table and then the lamp. He says, you have cost me, Slayer. Buffy says, I cost you. That's a designer lamp, ya mook. <laughs> he attacks her. They fight in the dining room, breaking glass things. Buffy saves a vase. <laughs> Spike comes in, grabs Mfashnik, and she says, Spike, no, I want him in the kitchen. So they move Mfashnik into the kitchen. They break the back window and some picture frames. Buffy says, in the basement, I want him in the basement. So Spike opens the door for her. Um, she pushes Mfashnik down the stairs. And we find out 
that when they said the basement was flooded, they really meant it was flooded. It's like waist deep down there. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm just going to interrupt real quick. Uh, my my house in second year where me and my friends lived, it also got a flooded, a fluted basement. And it was like that. It was like um, up to our knees. <laughs> but because we were just renting the place, it wasn't our problem. So we just we just didn't do laundry for the last two months. It was like that for two months, Steph? Yeah, our, our landlord didn't care. <laughs> this scene gave me more anxiety than anything else in this episode. Yeah. Okay, because... And, uh, no, I'll, I'll finish the scene and then we'll, we can talk about this issue. <laughs> Uh, so, so Mfashnik has taken an untimely swim. Uh, Buffy follows him down the stairs. They fight in the water. Uh, at one point, he breaks another pipe. Yeah. And Buffy says, no. <laughs> so she grabs him, throws him into the water. She grabs the pipe in her hands. And she starts to beat him, like beat him to death. We don't see it actually happen. We just see the camera looking up at her. And she's saying all these things that people have told her that are costing her money. Full copper repipe. No more full copper repipe. And eventually he's dead. And Buffy stares at the pipe that's now trickling water out again. And Spike's sitting on the basement stairs just above the water line. And he looks at her and he says, Did you know this place was flooded? <laughs> so I'm fortunate enough my basement is never flooded. Firstly, if this happened, I would turn off the water. I would pump out my basement. Um, they probably don't have a sump pump in their house. I don't actually have a sump pump in this current house, but many houses around this area do. I would at least try to mitigate the damage. Like, again, I know the pipes are shot, but so, like, they're doing dishes. Are they showering? Like, are they just like, oh, I guess we have a flooded basement. Like you said, Steph, they can't do laundry. But, like, that's hell of a lot of water damage. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine so. Like I said, that, that was our, our house in second year. We were all 19 years old. We didn't care, and clearly our landlord didn't care, and we just moved out um, in May. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. It's giving me anxiety. Uh, next scene, Steph, next scene. Okay, sorry. sorry. The, tr the trio, they have pimped out their basement overnight, it seems. Um, they now have cool chairs and weapons and tech. And Warren is saying, "We, I think we have a lot to feel good about. We have the money, we got the lair, and one loose end has been taken care of by the Slayer. So he fires a flamethrower, right? He's like, flamethrowers up. Andrew is looking through a periscope. And he's like, oh, your mom's weeding tulips again. And we can see like his mom weeding tulips in the garden um, on the screen behind them. And Jonathan has put away the action figures, has action figures fully deployed because they're a bunch of nerds. And Andrew says, I can't believe it. We did it. We can do anything. We can stay up all night if we wanted. And Warren's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't get all crazy on us, Andrew. And Jonathan says, what are we going to do about Buffy? Sooner or later, the Slayer's got to come after us. And Andrew says, bring her on. Warren says, we could hypnotize her. Andrew says, make her our willing sex bunny. They all laugh. And Jonathan says, I'm going to put that on the list. So that's fucking rapey. Um, better you just kill her, honestly. Andrew, Andrew says, is this life or what? Here we got all the stuff we ever wanted and we didn't even have to. And Warren says, earn it. And Andrew says, exactamungo. And Jonathan says, it's true, my friends. The way I see it, life is like an interstellar journey. Some people go into hypersleep and travel at sunlight speeds only to get where they're going after years of struggle and toil and hard work. We, on the other hand, and Andrew says, blasted through space-time continuum on a 
in a wormhole. Jonathan says, gentlemen, crime is our wormhole. And he lights a dollar bill on fire and lights a cigar with it because he thinks that's so cool. Andrew starts talking about wormhole semantics. And Warren has his gamer goggles on, I think, and says, dude, don't be a geek. So... The trio is oh boy. shaping out to be the big bads of the season from what we can guess, obviously. And honestly, this is where when they made these rapey jokes, right? They, they literally said they want to make Buffy their sex slave. Like they, they want to rape her. That's when I was like, okay, so there is nothing realer than a group of white incel men talking about what they would do to women if they could. Right. And mm-hmm. that is the threat of these three guys. So I think, you know, historically, if you look at these, the trio, you're like, well, they're, they're not super powered. They're, they're dorky. They're annoying. And like you said, infantilized, they're boys, right? They can seem like really young men, but that mm-hmm. male entitlement, that nice guy persona, the misogyny that's underneath their like little giggles. That's very realistic. That's realistic as fuck. And like, it's yep. actually threatening as a villain for a series like this. Yes, I agree. And that's why I, just, I think it's very important that we as viewers and critics don't write them off because they do have that goofy and nerdy component to them. It's like, oh, ho, 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 they're so funny and they can't, oh, of course they're not a credible threat to Buffy. I, that's not the point. The point is, as you just said, Steph, that the misogyny is baked in, right? It's like, if these guys who are traditionally seen as kind of losers in our society are talking about this, like this is the misogyny that runs through so many men in our society, right? And, and regardless of whether or not they have the power, the capability, you know, the circumstances and opportunity to carry out these fantasies, these ideas, you know, they still entertain them. They still think that they deserve women's time and attention and submission. And and so, you know, it's just, it's a fine line because we want to laugh at these guys because they're doofy. But at the same time, we, we cannot dismiss the very real threat they pose, if not to Buffy the Vampire Slayer herself, then, you know, to just women in general. Mm -hmm. And I just want to talk a bit about Jonathan quick, because we have spent the most time with Jonathan out of all these men. We've known him since season one, um, going all the way to season four, at least. And it's very typical of Jonathan to want to cut corners, right? He wants to fast track himself to being cool and popular and worthwhile. We saw that in Superstar, right? He doesn't want to put in the work. He wants to do magic and get there quicker. And that's basically what he said here with the wormhole and everything. And clearly these boys have joined in on that method and that thought process. So same way with like, instead of being nice men where you might be able to get girlfriends that will do nice things for you, they're like, let's hypnotize her. Let's, let's trick her and um, rape her. And that's, ugh, ugh, ugh. So let's see where this goes for the rest of the season, huh? The Scoobies are all in the living room trying to piece together the broken furniture from Fashnik. Uh, And Buffy is sitting with Anya going over financials. And Anya is saying, it won't take forever, just a very long time. Here is your first approximation of your spanky new debt. Uh, Thank you, Anya. That's such a nice thing for her to be doing for Buffy, you know? And Buffy's looking at it and she says, I crashed this house so many times. How did mom pay for this? And Xander says, she saved money and with this crappy ass coffee table. And Anya says, there's always that charging option. And Buffy's like, no, I will definitely 
probably not be doing that. <laughs> so Giles comes in with Tara, right? And he's like, well, now I know I'm back in America. I've been knocked unconscious. <laughs> Buffy says, poor lumpy Giles. Tara says, what did the demon want besides costing you a bundle? And Buffy says, he's way too dead to answer the question. Wish I knew who hired him. Willow says, I could do a locator spell. And Giles is, gives her a stern look because don't forget, Oof. they had a fight. And she's like, or not. Xander says, that's it. It's been four hours. I'm calling it people. This coffee table, it's gone. Damn it. And I laughed at that, Kara. I laughed at a Xander joke because... I thought you I thought you would <laughs> laugh at that one. Because I'm on season 12 ER. <laughs> and, um, and that was a good one. So uh, the lamp is also not going to make it. So Willow's like, let's take these things out to the trash and give them a decent throwing out. <laughs> so um, they carry the pieces out, the, the Scoobies do. And Buffy is looking sadly at her debt. And Giles says, Buffy. And she says, I don't think I can do this. And he says, yes, you can. Your mother dealt with this sort of thing all the time. She took one crisis at a time without the aid of superpowers and got through it. So can you. Buffy says, are you sure? He says, I'm positive. So honestly, Cara, this made me tear up. This little pet talk we got going on here. Because it's so sweet of him to bring up the strength of Buffy's mother to help her feel empowered right um remember back in forever when buffy told angel that she doesn't think she can do any of this because it was her mother who made everything better and was the strong one and angel was like no you can do it too this is very similar to that to me back then she was struggling to take care of dawn right and that was her biggest issue but now she's dealing with being traumatized and possibly mm -hmm. a depression also struggling to take care of dawn also dealing with being an adult and the fluid and like money and bills and no job. Ugh. I think it's worth thinking about what would have happened if Buffy hadn't died at the end of season five, right? Like many of these issues would still have arisen. She would just be the one living in that house with Dawn and presumably Willow and Tara would not have moved in, but there would still have been expenses. Buffy didn't have income, right? So I, I think it's worth remembering, right? That like, Part of the issue here is Buffy came back from the dead and now everybody's like, and you have to deal with this yourself, Buffy. Congrats. Yep. Off you go. You know, it, it's it's a, this very abrupt thing, um, which is interesting to me. I agree with you. Like, it's it's nice to get the pep talk from Daddy Giles. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot. This is complex. There's a lot going on. No, no. I feel you. No, no. For sure. Um in Giles's case, it's not so simple as him like, you'll get through it. But I just say the act of bringing up her mother, like your mother did it, so can you. Like for someone like me who's lost a mother, I appreciate it when I think about, oh, well, my mom went through that, I can do it too, right? Like it, it is a strength that you get from somebody that you love that's no longer there. But yeah, I mean, Buffy's got a long life ahead of her of having to deal with this stuff and the phone rings and Buffy says who's calling me everyone I know lives here so she goes to answer it and Dawn is asking Giles about like could it be the creditors and the hounding begins I read about that you think we'll starve no chance I'd have to quit school to work assembling cheap toys in a poorly ventilated sweatshop and Giles says what have you been reading and my answer to that Giles is she's been hanging out with Spike who definitely told her that <laughs> so Buffy just walks past them. She comes back to the room, walks right past them with purpose. Giles is like, what is it? She turns around. She says, Angel. And Giles says, he's in trouble. And Buffy says, he knows that I'm, he, he needs to see me. I have to go see him. And Giles says, okay, so you're going to leave for LA tomorrow? 
And Buffy says, not LA and not here. Somewhere in the middle, there's a place. And Giles says, I see. Well, we should get these bills and things out of the way first. And Buffy says, I have to go now. And she starts to leave. But then as an afterthought, she says, thanks for taking care of this for me. So she goes. And she, she literally leaves the house. Doesn't pack a bag. She's just, she's just GTFOs. No purse. Um, she leaves Jill, uh, Giles and Dawn just staring at each other amongst the mess of the living room and the mess of the debt. And where do we begin? Oh, shit. Kara meeting with Angel. I know what you're fantasizing about oh, tonight. Oh, UPN and the WB. Stevie little motel meeting on the highway. Oh, like I'm, I'm sure the UPN and the, the WB will figure out how to do crossovers so that we can find out what the two of them are going to talk about uh, in the middle of nowhere between Ellie and Sunnydale. Kara, I am positive that we will get a blow by blow, word for word rundown of this meetup next episode. No doubt in my mind. But oh no, oh no, oh no. Let's let's take a pause for a second because as happy as I am that Buffy's like, Angel's calling, I'm out of here, as I would too. Buffy going right now is a very bad idea. It's showing how she is continuing to be disengaged with her reality. Like you said, she's GTFO. Like she's like, well, this is a problem and I don't want to deal with it. So she just takes off, right? She, she lets this distraction properly distract her. And she runs away from her responsibilities, leaving Giles there with them. And also, like, her responsibility, her biggest responsibility being Dawn. Just, thanks for taking care of this, and then leaves, right? So that's that's a red flag. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is, does not bode well. Yeah. Um, poor Giles, you know, coming back, and then immediately just, this is all dumped on him. And, you know, it shows Buffy thinks that she's going to get, that he's just going to take care of her. And that's not good. Yeah. I, I'm willing to cut her a little slack here. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Angel called, of course. <laughs> yeah, go, uh, go, yeah. go. This is, this is messy. I mean, flooded is good. This is messy. Car, you know what else is flooded? <laughs> Buffy's pants. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear. Okay. Who's your hero, Steph? Giles. Giles came back and he's doing his best. Daddy Giles. I agree with you. Once again, like it's there's no contest here. He, but he also like not only is he doing his best and trying to be there and being what Buffy needs, even though she's finding what she needs in Spike for some reason, Giles put Willow in her place. Someone needed to say it. Someone needs to stand up to that girl and tell her that she's being a rank, arrogant amateur. And he did it. He's my hero. Agreed. <laughs> but you want know shout out to Anya for being also a stand-up friend. Yes, in this. A- Anya was great in this episode. I just she's not the hero because she hasn't actually like done anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but a personal she's hero going for herself. through her own stuff. Yeah, yeah, but she's yeah. a hero for herself. You know. All right, time for some hot stakes. First hot stake is from Lucia, who wants to talk about you know how Buffy's friends are terrible people. <laughs> uh, you know, Lucia says, "I get so pissed." You know, especially for Willow and Tara. Um, I feel there were two obvious options. Willow gets money from her mom to pay some sort of rent. You know Sheila does not even realize Willow isn't living on campus anymore. And they have money. So, like, why couldn't Willow receive a rent allowance for living arrangements since she's still in college? And Sheila was definitely paying previously with no problem. Or Willow and Tara could also get a part-time job. When the group sat down for this talk, Willow or or Tara didn't even offer to get a part-time job themselves, which is kind of wild to me because they could even only work like twice a week at the college bookstore or something, (laughs) you know? 
Lucia says, I know they took on a large responsibility when Buffy died. But after they bring Buffy back, fairly quickly after her death, any challenging roles they had as guardians, you know, like for Dawn, pretty much disappear. They just live in Buffy's house. I'm not necessarily into charging your friends rent if you don't have to, or the idea of Buffy the Landlord. <laughs> that would be a TV series. <laughs> but this situation seems like it calls for more than what the Scoobies find acceptable. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Scoobies need to step it up because why does it fall purely in Buffy's responsibility range? Because Buffy needs help more now more than ever. Step it up, Willow <laughs> and Tara, step it up. Um, our second hot steak is from Veronica. She says, I think that the Watchers Council should be paying Buffy and their other Slayers as well, but they don't care about their Slayer's life expectancy. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier, too, that uh, the Watchers Council, like, perhaps Buffy can't charge innocents and victims for her slaying, but she certainly should be charging the Watchers Council. Like, the Watchers Council she should, should be invoice, paying. you know, attention, Quentin Travers. <laughs> right? And, like, they put in the hours, like, I, I patrolled for this many hours this night and, like, keep track of it that way. But, like, absolutely, Buffy should not be doing this alone, not only because of her shitty friends, but the council should have been helping her from day one. Yes. Uh, final hot stake. Tracy wants to talk about Willow and something that you said, Steph, Ooh. in Bargaining Part 1. <laughs> Tracy says, uh, Steph, you mentioned about Willow and the baby voice <laughs> and how it grates on your nerves. You asked if she did this with Oz. Uh, I'm also doing a rewatch from the start and I'm in season three. So she's with Oz and I can confirm she does the baby voice. I think it's so grating now because it doesn't feel authentic. It's like she can put on an act of innocence and cuteness, maybe. Obviously, she's not as innocent at all as she was, you know, black magic, snakes out of the mouth, all that jazz. So when she switches between being fierce, arrogant, and kind of scary in her determination to get the group on her side to that cutesy baby voice thing in the very next scene, I'm like, is it an act? Can she really be both? especially knowing where her character is going. Mm. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that, Tracy. <laughs> yeah. um, but thank you so much for writing in uh, and talking to us about the baby voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's such a good point too, right? Like that's probably why now it's bothering more than when she did it before because... It's, it's a cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like you, you, can't do, you can't be an arrogant, rank amateur and a baby. <laughs> you can't be both. <laughs> Um, thanks everyone for your hot steaks we love them keep them coming as season six progresses we got a couple of chosen ones to thank amy ricky tasha Haley, jace allison erica destiny kyle and emma thank you susanna reese joshua Luis, nicola julian jordan kayla holly and lizzie we will see you next week with a special guest star Ooh, bye. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Uh... Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. 
prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. Also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Can't wait to hear from you. Praise Malik. See you next week. Thank you.